0: All right, well, good morning. You go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, my name is Matthew, and I'm excited to have the opportunity to uh, serve as the teaching pastor here at our Westerville campus. Uh, my family and I, we arrived in the town last weekend from uh, Tampa, Florida, and we've kind of been getting settled in this week, I moved into our, our house, unpacking boxes, uh, meeting coworkers. but we are just so excited and blessed. I uh, just had the opportunity to serve alongside you all and to continue just the great work that God has been doing at LifePoint, uh, but even more specifically here at the, uh, the Westerville campus. Have, have you ever missed something that was incredibly obvious? It was something that was right in front of your face, but you just kind of didn't see it? And maybe you're, you're running late for work one day, and you're trying to find your car keys, and you're starting to get angry and yell at your kids, and you're, you're, you're running through the house, digging through your, your laundry, looking through the pockets and looking through the couches, and then you put your hand in your pocket and realize your, your car keys had been there the entire time. Or maybe your, your wife asks you to go and grab something from the pantry, husbands, and you go over there, and you, you open up the door, and you kind of stare mindlessly for about two minutes... And then you walk back to the, to the living room. You're like, hey, I, I couldn't find it. I think we're out. Your wife gets up and walks in there and immediately grabs the item that she asked you to get. Has, has something like that ever happened to you? And I think all of us, we, we miss things at times in life, things that are obvious. But you see, I think the same can be true when it comes to our, our spiritual life as well. There are times where Jesus is at work in our life. He's active and he's moving and we just miss it. And it's not because Jesus is hiding from us. He's not playing hide and seek. It's not because he's distant and removed. Oftentimes, he's making himself incredibly obvious and it's incredibly clear. But we have things in our life that keep us from seeing him clearly, that keep us from seeing how Jesus is at work and moving in our life. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want to look at a story from John chapter 5. So if you have your Bible with you or you're following along on the uh, LifePoint notes, I'd encourage you to open up there. And here's my prayer for, for today. Here's my hope. As I've been preparing all weekend and praying about today, my prayer is that we wouldn't miss what Jesus is doing. That we wouldn't miss what Jesus is doing today here in this service, but even more importantly, in your life. And that each and every one of us, that we would clearly see Jesus for who he he truly is. If there are things in our life right now that are keeping us from seeing Jesus clearly, from seeing how he's working and moving, that God would remove those things from our life today so that we can begin to see Jesus clearly. So in John chapter 5, starting in verse 1, we read this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and in which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. So Jesus has traveled back to Jerusalem for one of the, the annual Jewish festivals. And what you see throughout Jesus's ministry is he bounces back and forth a lot between Galilee and Jerusalem. And this time while he's in Jerusalem, he stops at this, this pool. And I want to, to just pause for, for a moment and, and draw attention to the amount of details, the amount of specificity John is using to describe where Jesus is going. Notice what he says. He says, in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate." surrounded by the five covered colonnades. This is not a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Like, he's being very clear, very specific. And why is he doing that? To validate the credibility of his account. Like, to the original audience, he's saying, hey, go check out this place that I'm talking about. This is a real place. This is a real moment in time. In fact, they've discovered and, and excavated this very pool that John is referring to here. And in verse 3, it tells us this, that here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. So here at this pool, these disabled people would come and they would lay here all day long until they were picked up at night. They'd be dropped off by friends, dropped off by family members, and they would spend the day laying by this pool. And why, Why are they doing that? Why are they hanging out by this pool? You see, there was this belief, it sounds kind of crazy, but that every once in a while, an angel would come down from heaven, would stir the waters, and when the waters would begin to to bubble and to foam, the first person into the water would be healed. Now, what they've discovered is there were actually springs underneath this pool that would cause it to bubble, but this was the belief, and what you have to understand is at this time, there was no special medical care, there was no special attention for these people. For many of them they were viewed as outcasts in society. They were neglected and abandoned by their family and they would lay here at this pool day after day waiting and hoping for a miracle that something would change, that they could get in that water and that they could be healed. And this spot in town most people completely avoided. Those who lived in Jerusalem would never pass by this pool because you can imagine just how horrific of a sight it would have been, all of these people in desperate need just laying there. But this place that most people would have avoided, Jesus purposely visited. Jesus stepped into this place that others stayed away from. And look what it says in verse five. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So here at this pool on this day, it's this man who has been disabled for 38 years. And I just want you to imagine the sense of hopelessness this guy must have felt. Day after day, month after month, year after year, he has laid here at this pool hoping for a miracle, hoping for something to change, and nothing has happened. At this point in life, I'm assuming he's, he's just believing, this is how I'm gonna spend the rest of my life. This, these are the cards that I've been dealt. This is how I'm gonna live. I'm stuck here. But on this day, Jesus chose to show up and chose to step into this man's life. And look what it says in verse, verse six. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you wanna get well? Do you want to get well? So Jesus singles this man out of the crowd of people. And we're not told why. Potentially it's because this guy had been there longer than anybody else. And and I imagine all these people are laying around the pool, and Jesus sees this man. He finds out how long he's been there. And he's kind of stepping over people to, to get to this man. And he kneels down and he looks this man in the in the eye and he asks him this very simple question: Do you want to get well? And I imagine this guy is thinking in his head, duh. Like, what do you think I'm doing here? I mean, what kind of question is that? Do I want to get well? Yes, I want to get well. Why do you think I'm laying at this pool? I'm not out here catching a tan. I'm here because I want to be healed. I want to get well. But listen to how he responds in verse 7. Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Say, look, buddy, I've been trying to get well for years. But do you see all of these people here? Whenever the water is stirred, everyone makes their way to the pool and I don't have anybody here to help me. I'm never able to get there in time. I'm never able to get there first. Of course, I want to get well, but there's nothing that I can do. So then Jesus says to him, verse eight, he says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once, immediately, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. So Jesus, he doesn't try arguing with him. He doesn't try to convince him of anything. He doesn't really try having a conversation with him. He looks at him and says, hey, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And in that instant, in that moment, this man who has never been able to walk for 38 years, his legs begin to work. He stands up and starts to walk around. And I can imagine all the people laying there and and just disbelief at what they're seeing, raising their hands, wanting to to, to be next. This incredible miracle happens. This man walks for the first time, but then the story begins to take a shift. There's a a turn in the narrative, because listen to how verse 9 finishes. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and for many of us, we read that and don't think much about it. But for the original audience who have been hearing this, this is when they would have been like, ooh, the Sabbath. And listen, Jesus, he didn't forget what day of the week it was. He knew it was the Sabbath. And he could have uh, shown up the day before, he could have shown up the day after, but he purposely chose to show up and heal this man on the Sabbath. And why is he doing that? Because he's stirring the pot. He's taking some shots at the religious leaders. He's creating some drama. He's creating some, atten- some, some tension. He's trying to get them to notice, and, and they do. And in verse 10, it says this. And so the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, they said to the man who had been healed, hey, don't you know it's the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat? So these religious leaders, they see this man who's been disabled for 38 years, never able to walk, And the first thing they say to him is, hey, what are you doing carrying your mat? Don't you know it's the Sabbath? And I'd imagine they they know who he is. And and, in a town that size, they would have recognized him. They would have known a miracle has taken place, but they are not concerned about it. Why? Because he was breaking their religious rules. A miracle has taken place in front of them, and they don't even care. You see, the religious leaders of those days, what they would do is they would take the Old Testament commands found in the scriptures, found in the Torah, and they would add all of these extra laws, all these extra commands, and they created their own version of the law called the Oral Law. And for them, the Oral Law was seen as just as authoritative as the scriptures, just as authoritative as the Old Testament. And this oral law would be passed down from generation to generation, but only to the religious elite. They were the only ones who knew it. And these religious leaders, they would use the oral law to maintain power and control over the people and to manipulate them. You see, the original command in the Old Testament was very simple, honor the Sabbath by not working. Pretty clear, pretty simple. Honor the Sabbath by not working. But what these guys did was they took that simple command and they created 39 different categories of work. More than anybody could possibly memorize. And one of those categories of work that was forbidden was you are not allowed to carry a load from one place to another. And here's this guy carrying his mat, carrying his load, because he's just been healed and he's walking for the very first time. And the punishment... The consequence for this was being stoned to death. This guy, never been able to walk, finally gets a set of legs that work, is walking around carrying his mat, and these religious leaders stop him, start giving him a hard time because he's walking and carrying his mat, and he's about to be put to to death, and listen to how he responds in verse 11. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. He's like, it's not my fault. The guy who healed me, remember, I couldn't walk before, now I can walk. The guy who healed me told me to stand up and carry my mat. What do you want me to do, ignore him? I mean, he, he, he healed me. What have you ever done for me? Like, you're not going to put this on me. I'm not going to be responsible for this. Like, I haven't done anything wrong. So verse 12, they asked him, well, who is this fellow? Who is this guy who told you to pick it up and walk? Who's this mysterious person you're talking about? Well, the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Verse 14, later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. You know, as I had to read through the, the Gospels and the miracles and the healings, This one, to me, is is probably the most interesting because it's so different from the typical miracle healing account with Jesus. Typically, people would come and find Jesus if they needed to be healed. They would travel distances and come to him and beg and plead, please heal me. But here, Jesus goes and, and, and finds this man Jesus almost randomly, it seems, picks this man out of a group, out of a crowd. Why did he get healed and the others didn't? We, we don't know. This man was healed even though he didn't ask for it. Typically, people would ask Jesus to heal them, and then he would heal. They, he didn't even ask for it. There was no evidence of this guy placing faith and trust in Jesus, And then Jesus went and found him a second time, which he never would have done. Typically, Jesus would heal somebody and send them on their way and likely never see them again. This miracle is so different. And what you see is Jesus being so intentional with this man. He's making himself known to him. He's making it clear. He's making it obvious. Yet the man still misses it. He doesn't see Jesus for who he actually is, and he doesn't realize what it is that Jesus is actually offering him. See, just like this man, I think we can often miss Jesus in our lives. We miss how he's at work and how he's, he's moving We miss how he's trying to to grow us and to shape us. We miss how he's inviting us to to a, a deeper level of trust and faith. He's right in front of us. He's active, he's working, he's moving, but we just don't see him because we have things in our life Things in our family, things in our, in our, in our marriage, things in our, that, that nobody else even knows about. Things that keep us from clearly seeing Jesus for who he is and what he's doing. So for the next few minutes, what, the question I want us to, to answer together is this. What keeps us from seeing Jesus in our life? What are the things that, that keep us from seeing Jesus at work in our life? And the three things that we're going to look at this morning are, are things that I know in my life at times have kept me from seeing Jesus clearly, have kept me from seeing how Jesus is at, at work. And my guess is you will identify with at least one of these, if not more of these. So what keeps us from seeing Jesus in our life? The first one is this. It's our circumstances. Our circumstances. The situations that we find ourselves in. I want you to think back to the, to the beginning of the story. Jesus approaches this man who's been disabled for 38 years, and he asks him this question, do you want to get well? I mean, how incredible is that? God in flesh is standing right in front of this man and asking him, do you want to be healed? But all the guy can think about is the fact that he can't get into the water. And for him, he misses what Jesus is offering him because his circumstance, the situation he's found himself in, is bigger than Jesus. And if we aren't careful today, the situations we find ourselves in, the problems we're in, the circumstances that we face can keep us from seeing Jesus in our life. And rather than seeing the the, the problem that we're facing, rather than seeing our situation from God's perspective, what we often do, if you're anything like me, is we begin to view God from the perspective of our circumstance, of the problem that we're facing. And when we do that, our problem becomes big and God becomes very small. And we miss how Jesus is at work in and through our trial, we miss that Jesus is is trying to do something in our life. You know, as I followed Jesus, one of the things that I found to be true is that Jesus is often most at work in our most difficult seasons. Those are the times where he's, he's working to grow us and to stretch us and transform us, which means that when we find ourselves in the middle of a trial. When we find ourselves in a situation that seems to be overwhelming, I think we have to change our perspective. And rather than, than, than viewing God from the perspective of the situation we're in, we have to begin to view our problem, our circumstance from God's perspective and realize that God is at work, that God is using it, that God is trying to get our attention. God is trying to do something in our life. Jesus needs to become bigger. Jesus needs to come into greater focus and clarity than the situation that we're facing. And I know that's hard. Some of you this morning, you find yourself in a situation right now that you would say is overwhelming. Maybe it's something in your marriage, maybe it's something in your family, maybe it's something with, with your health. And you're wondering where is Jesus? Has he abandoned me? Has he forgotten about me? I don't see him in this. And what you may need to do is you may need to begin to change your perspective and begin to view the situation that you find yourself in from God's perspective. And I want to give you just a few questions that have been helpful for me, questions to ask ourselves when we find ourselves in a situation and we're having a hard time seeing Jesus. The first one is this what is God trying to teach me through this? What's God trying to teach me? So often our immediate response when we're in a tough situation is how do I get out of this as fast as possible? How do I hit fast forward and just go through this as quickly as possible? But what if we slow down and we ask ourselves, what is God trying to teach me? What is God trying to reveal to me about himself and his character? Is God trying to teach me? Another question is this How is God growing my faith and my trust in Him? Is God inviting me to a deeper and greater level of trust and faith in who He is? Is He inviting me to, to step out of my comfort zone and to trust Him when there's so much unknown, when there's so much uncertainty? How is God refining my character? Is there something in my heart? Is there an area of my my character? Maybe I have some blind spots, and God is using this season, this circumstance I find myself in, to surface those things and begin to to point those out, and he wants to begin to transform me and sanctify me and to, to, to change me. Don't miss what God is doing in the season that you're in. Because your, your, your problem seems so big, begin to view it from God's perspective and realize that Jesus is at work in and through your most difficult season. The second thing that can often keep us from, from seeing, seeing Jesus clearly is, is our blessings. So on the one hand, tough seasons, tough situations can keep us from seeing Jesus, but oftentimes our blessings can keep us from seeing Jesus as well. If you notice, when this man is, is, is healed, when he receives this incredible blessing, we're told that Jesus slips away into the crowd. He, he kind of just disappears. But this man never goes looking for him. He's not interested in finding out who, who healed him. He's not interested in finding out who it is. In fact, Jesus has to go and find him a second time. And unlike so many of Jesus's other healing miracles throughout the gospel accounts, there is no evidence Of saving faith from this man. There's no evidence that he placed his faith and his trust in Jesus. He simply received his blessing and then went on with his life. And he ended up missing out on what he needed most, which was Jesus. He experienced a physical healing, but didn't receive a spiritual healing, which is what he truly needed. You see, our blessings in life can oftentimes keep us from seeing our, our true need for Jesus. Because when we have all of our needs met in life, and for, for probably 95% of us, maybe 100% of us, we have all of our needs met. And maybe for, for even most of us, we don't only have our needs met, we have all of our wants met. When we don't need God for our daily needs and we don't need God to to help provide for us, it's easy for us to begin to think that we don't need Jesus that much. And we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is the only one and the only thing that can satisfy our greatest needs. And we end up placing our hope and our trust and our blessings rather than in Jesus. We place our hope in the gifts rather than the one who gave us those gifts. You know, I think it's so important that we remind ourselves daily of our desperate need for Jesus. That without him, we can't ever meet the deepest needs in our life. That he's the only one who can provide us with, with true peace and life, No amount of things or stuff or blessings can do that. He's the only one who can provide us with true, lasting joy. He's the only one who can give us purpose and meaning in life. And we can't allow our physical blessings that God has given us to become spiritual blinders that keep us from seeing our need from Jesus. And I just wonder today, man, have your blessings, the things that God has graciously given you, have they kept you from seeing your need for Jesus? Have the blessings replaced Jesus in your life? Our circumstances can keep us from seeing him. Our blessings when life is is going really well can keep us from seeing Jesus clearly, and finally, so can our religion. Our religion can keep us from, from seeing Jesus. You see, in the story, it wasn't just the man who was healed that missed Jesus. It was the religious leaders as well, the ones who knew the scriptures the best, the ones who followed the rules, the ones who, from the outside looking in, you would think, man, they're the most connected with God. They've got it right. They've got it figured out. But listen to how the story ends in verse 16 through 18. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish religious leaders, they began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, look, my, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I, too, am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, not only was he breaking their rules, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and because he didn't follow their religious system, And because he didn't fit in their little box of who God is and how God should behave and how God should act, they refused to see Jesus as the Messiah. And instead, they became determined to kill him and to put an end to his ministry. And listen to what Jesus had to say about their spiritual blindness in verse 39 and 40. He said this. He says, look, guys, you you studied the scriptures diligently, You know it so well because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What Jesus is saying is, hey, guys, look, you're missing the forest through the trees. You know the scriptures better than anyone. You're the smartest. You're the most trained. You're the most intellectual. But you're missing the fact that the scriptures that you're studying so diligently, they ultimately Point to me. These religious leaders, their system that they had created, the box that they had created, kept them from seeing Jesus clearly, and they never ended up receiving eternal life through Jesus. You know the word religion; it often gets a, a bad rap in, in church world because we talk about, hey, it's a, it's a relationship; it's not about religion. But the Bible doesn't always speak of religion as a as a bad thing. In fact, the Bible does talk about a, a kind of religion that pleases God, that's honoring to Him, that He approves of. Religion, in and of itself, isn't inherently bad. The issue is when our religious systems and rules and the boxes we, we create are elevated over Jesus. That's when it becomes a problem, when we try to keep Jesus confined to our little box a box that we can understand and make sense of, a box that keeps us comfortable and safe, a box that keeps us in control, and a box that ultimately makes Jesus small. And what are some of those boxes that in in church world we may try to put Jesus in? For some of us, if we've been around church for a long time, that, that, that box we try to put Jesus in is our, uh, our, our theological ideas, our, our theological systems. Like we have a way of making sense of everything, and that's the lens through which we read the Bible and we, we think about all of life, and that's not a bad thing, but if something going on doesn't perfectly fit in this little box that we've created that we can wrap our minds around, well, then we discard it and say, that can't possibly be Jesus, That can't be Jesus at work, because I have my system that I perfectly understand, and it doesn't fit in here. For some of us, that that box that we create is our church preferences, how we want the music to sound, what we want the preaching to be like, how bright we want the lights to be in the room, how we want the kids' programming to be, and Jesus, here are my church preferences, and I need you to kind of fit inside that, because unless it's operating like this, well, I can't possibly serve there. I can't possibly be a part of it. For some of us, our, our, our little box is our spiritual practices, our spiritual disciplines. We're kind of like, hey, Jesus, you've got 10 minutes in the morning when I do my quiet time. I'm going to read a couple pages of my devotional and say my prayers, so you better cram everything you need to say to me any of these 10 minutes, because the rest of the day, I'm just going to go and kind of do my own thing. Listen, we have these boxes that we try to fit Jesus inside of. But listen, if you could put Jesus in the box, Jesus wouldn't be God. He's bigger than the box. He's bigger than anything you can wrap your mind around. But when we try to keep Jesus in that box, it keeps us from seeing him for who he actually is. And we end up missing how Jesus is at work all around us and in our life. And I just wonder today, What's keeping you from seeing Jesus clearly? What is it in your life that maybe has become a spiritual blinder and you're losing sight of how Jesus is at work? Maybe for you, it is the circumstance you find yourself in. Maybe just this week, you got a medical report. Or you have a child that has is, is, is just been difficult or maybe it's a, a tension point in your marriage or something at work and it seems so overwhelming and you're missing the fact that Jesus is actively at work in that situation and he's working it together for your good and his glory. He hasn't forgotten about you. Maybe for some of you it's the blessings in your life. God has been so good and gracious to you but you have put your hope and those blessings rather than Jesus. And as a result, you've become self-sufficient and you rely on yourself and you've lost sight of your desperate need for Jesus. Maybe for some of you, it's your religious system. It's your box. You've been a believer for a long time. You've been doing the church thing for a long time. But if it doesn't look like this, if it doesn't fit in what you understand, man, you just dismiss it. What's keeping you from seeing Jesus? Here's the prayer. I I, I wanna invite each of you to pray this morning. It's just a very simple prayer. Jesus, help me to see you clearly. Whatever it is in my life that's keeping me from, from seeing you for who you are and how you're at work, God, remove it. Take it away. Help me to see you for who you are. So right now, I just want to invite all of us, heads bowed, our eyes closed, to pray that together. Jesus, help us to see you clearly. If there's anything in our life right now that's preventing us from seeing who you are and seeing how you're at work, God, pray that you would just remove any of those barriers, any of those blinders from our life. Or for anyone who's here today and who doesn't know you, who doesn't have a relationship with you, who's never placed their, their, their faith in you, God, I pray even right now that you begin to, to pull away those spiritual blinders, that you would begin to work on their heart, on their mind, that they would see you as, as Savior, as King, as Lord, and respond. And Lord, I pray for, for those of you who, of us who, who follow you, who are believers. We maybe have become distracted by things in life, distracted by the things of the world, and we've lost sight of, of how you're at work, how you're trying to use us, how you're trying to grow us. Jesus, become the focus of our life. Help us to see you with greater clarity. Jesus, we love you, praise you, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen.